Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 13. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. To do justly means to act toward God according to God's word. To love mercy means to show compassion toward man. And to walk humbly with your God means living in humility before God and your brothers. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Come on, y'all, say it with me. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8, beautiful memory verse. Jesus said, if you do what I have done, blessed or happy are you. In other words, if you serve one another, you'll be happy. If you serve yourself, you'll be sad. Isn't that true? When you kind of get caught up in yourself and what you need and what is all about you, there's nothing fulfilling in that. You're sad. But if you serve other people and you serve the Lord, you'll be happy. Happy are you when you demonstrate humility. Happy are you when you're willing to do the work that nobody else wants to do. Happy are you when you don't care about exalting yourself and getting the credit. Happy are you when you walk humbly before your God and man. While John is thinking about happy, he thinks of the contrast or the difference or the other side of happy. What do I mean? I'll show you. Look at verse 18. If you're looking at verse 18, chapter 13, say amen. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, Jesus said, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. When, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Well, then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. And there was, a, there was leaning on his bosom, Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to this one laying on Jesus' chest to ask who it was of whom he spoke. And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, is it I? And Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to who, saints? Judas Iscariot, and who's he the son of? Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, Judas. And then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things which we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Verse 30, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. You see that? Stop right there. Give me your attention. I told you 
not last week, week before, we were in 13, John 13. I told you that John is approximately 90 years old at this point as he writes this gospel. And John is remembering the night that they all sat around the triclinium or the table. Now, tell me, and they're around the table to celebrate the Last Supper or the Passover. And this is the Last Supper. Um, tell me, you guys tell me, just yell, yell it out. Who painted the beautiful portrait of the Last Supper? What's his name? Leonardo who? Da Vinci. Amen. You know, first service, I said Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean Da Vinci. <laughs> da Vinci. I actually made that mistake yesterday. I'm typing and I'm like, Leonardo DiCaprio. I keep saying DiCaprio because the D is the same. Leonardo Da Vinci DiCaprio. Anyways, um, so I have a picture of that. I'm going to show you some things here. Look at this. Uh, Beautiful picture. I want to tell you something before we get going. This picture is not a biblical picture. In other words, he didn't paint this picture from, you know, verse by verse text. What he did was he read the Bible, the text, and then painted the picture as he would see it and even inserted some ideas of his own mind and his own thoughts, and he painted that. So it's not a biblical picture per se, but it's one man's uh, perspective or perception of the Last Supper. So on your left, you'll notice on the left, you have Bartholomew, Philip, James, the son of Alphaeus, Andrew, Peter, and Judas. Judas is sitting right next to Jesus. Judas is the, is the one with his elbow on the table. He's the only one leaning on the table. You'll notice that. Uh, Jesus is at the center. On the right, John is sitting next to Jesus, right next to him. So Judas is on the left. John is on the right. How do we know that? Because if you look at verse 25, we just read it. John puts his head on Jesus' chest. So we have John on the right, Thomas, James the Greater, Matthew, Simon the Zealot, and Jude. Um, If you'll notice, Judas, notice, look at him carefully. He's kind of recoiling, if you will. He's sitting at the table. Y'all see that? And he's kind of recoiling or pulling back. And I think the reason why is because he knew Jesus knew his plan. He's holding 30 pieces of silver, tight. He's the only person with the elbow on the table. As I said, Da Vinci depicted Judas. Now, you might not be able to see this from where you're sitting, but if you examine the picture closely, there's some, it's an item. Some say it's a salt shaker or what they in that day would call a salt um, cellar, a salt cellar, C-E-L-L-A-R. And Judas is spilling that, if you will. It's kind of laying on the table as to say he was chosen to be the salt of the earth, but rubbed salt in the Savior's wound. Not only is Judas holding the money tight, but he's also holding a secret tight that only Jesus knows and that he is a betrayer. So thank you. You can take that picture down. Look at verse 18. So they are, they are seated at the table. Look at verse 18 in your Bibles. They're seated at the table and Jesus says, I don't speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Judas is a betrayer. And maybe the disciples think Jesus blew it when he chose him. Now, how many of you know Jesus is never unaware or ignorant? Amen. Amen. And Jesus says, I know whom I have chosen. I did it. It wasn't an accident. Jesus knows what is coming, describes what is coming, and performs what is coming according to the purpose of God. He says, in order that the scripture, 
Look at verse 18. In order that the scripture may be fulfilled. In your margins of your Bibles, you can write Psalm 41.9. Psalm 41.9. And it reads this. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Psalm 41.9 is David talking about a relationship that he had with Ahithophel. Ahithophel was his counselor. And David's son, Absalom, rebelled and tried to overthrow his dad and take the throne. And Ahithophel, watch this, turned against David as well and joined Absalom's rebellion. So Jesus takes this story and applies it to Judas of someone who had a close relationship with someone and yet they betrayed him. You get that? So he quotes Psalm 41.9 to make that point. Now, I think we would all agree that there's nothing worse than being betrayed by a family member or a friend. Isn't that true? Nothing worse, nothing more painful, let me say that, than a family member or a friend or a husband or a wife or your children. Betrayal is awful. And there's nothing worse than it. Listen to this story I heard, and I think this makes the point well. March 44 B.C., Julius Caesar was assassinated by Marcus Junius Brutus on the Ides. Caesar trusted Brutus and considered him as a son. According to Roman historians, Caesar at first resisted the onslaught of the assassins. But when he saw Brutus among them with a dagger drawn, Caesar ceased the struggle And while pulling the top part of his robe over his face, he asked the question, et tu brute, et tu brute. That's Latin for, and you too, Brutus? And you too, Brutus? There's nothing like when a family member or a close friend betrays you or someone you trusted, somebody that you've been a blessing to them in their life. When they betray you, it hurts. I know you don't want to say amen, but say it. Amen. Because it does hurt. There's nothing worse than that. And so the relationship between Jesus and Judas. Jesus loved Judas. Jesus did not want Judas Judas to perish. He did not. He loved him. He loved him to the end. He loved him to the end. We'll get to it in just a second. But he loved him to the end. In verse 18, go ahead and look at it again. Verse 18 says, um, he who eats bread with me, note this, has lifted up his heel against me. You see that? Now, the lifting up of your heel is a word picture for a friend who, without warning, without provocation, turns around and kicks you in the face. Jesus loves Judas, as I said, and his betrayal hurts. And Jesus quotes Psalm 41, 9 to make that point. In verse 19, look in your Bibles. I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Now, the word he in your Bible is probably in italics. And that's there for easy read or for easier understanding. But the, so it's not in the original text. In the original text, it reads this, that you may believe that I am, period. Speaking of deity, that's correct. The New English translation says this, that you may believe I am that I am. And Jesus says, I'm telling you before it happens so that you won't lose faith, 
but that you might believe in me. Again, Jesus wants them to know that there's no surprise. Everything that Judas did was in fulfillment of prophecy, and God designed it all. Now look at verse 20, if you will, with me again. Most assuredly, I say to you in verse 20, he who receives, who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. A lot of uh, speculation as to what this actually means. Um, here are my thoughts. Jesus is talking about betrayal, yes? And many of the disciples started having, or perhaps many of the disciples started having doubts about their calling, thinking, well, maybe our commission has changed. Maybe our work has stopped. Jesus says, nothing has changed. You still represent me. Jesus says, when you go out and preach, if they receive you, they receive me. And if they receive me, they receive the Father who sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying, you represent Jesus to the world. And Christians, you guessed it, you represent Jesus to the world. Anything that the world is going to know about God, they are going to look at the Christian and reduce that. Whatever it is, if you are joyous, they're going to think God is joyous. Amen. If you're a bummer, Amen. They're going to think God's a bummer. Am I right about it? They're going to look at your life. They're going to look at your life and reduce whatever they want to say and think about God. I don't think Christians realize that. And I don't think we realize or are aware of our representation. We're under constant observation by the world and other believers. The life you live as a professing Christian tells the world about God. And people form their opinions about God based on what they see in you. 2 Corinthians 2, 3, uh, pardon me, 3, 2 through 3. You are our epistle written in our hearts, Paul says, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, our hearts. In other words, every single one of us is a living letter, a living epistle. The word epistle means letter. People are reading the gospel according to you. Not the gospel according to John. Not the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, or Luke. But the gospel according to you. I told you some time ago, I, I think I mentioned this from the pulpit, that when my children were small, um, I used to tell them, like if I wanted some of their ice cream, I would say, Jesus says, share. And they would go, okay. You know how kids are, selfish little children. And uh, so, you, you know, you're, you want some of this sandwich or something, you know, I would always say this, Jesus says, share. And they would go, did he? I'd go, yeah, Jesus says, share. Give me some. <laughs> so I would do that often. And, and, and one day, uh, Ronnie Jr. came up to me, and this was like well into his years, Okay. I'm talking up in the, probably, I'd say up in the early 20s. He came to me, okay. He said I wasn't right. I knew I was. Um, he came to me and said, Dad, Jesus didn't say share. That's not in the Bible. I said, I never said it was in the Bible. I just said it's something Jesus said to me. <laughs> I never said that. It's not in the Bible. I said, no, it's not in the Bible. And Jesus said, share is not in the Bible, but it's true, isn't it? And people may never read the Bible, but they're reading your life from cover to cover. And listen, that's not in the Bible either, but it's true. 
Truth is, Christians, we don't represent the president. We don't represent the governor. We don't represent a senator. We are called to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Am I right about it? That's who we represent. We're examples to the world, and we are ambassadors of Christ. And why can't we get that? And I don't care where, you, where your walk is in your life, where you are in the workplace, in school, no matter what you do, you are an example. And people don't listen to what you say. People listen to what you do. People follow what you do. Example is everything. You know, I chat with that about the staff, pastors often. Our example is important because people are not listening to what you say. They're watching what you do, how you behave, how you respond. And Jesus knew that. That's why he came to earth. Don't you understand? He could have saved us any way he chose to. He could have saved us a thousand different ways. He could probably come up with a million different ways. He could have saved us. He didn't have to leave heaven, come down to the earth, put on flesh. Somebody needs to be saying, that's right, pastor. Put on flesh. Take on the form of a servant, wash people's feet, amen, and amen. He didn't have to do all that. He could have saved us a myriad of ways, but he came down. Why? Because of example. For God demonstrate. I'll wait while you clap your hands. Yes, I will. For God demonstrated. Example, his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he came to give us an example. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And he did that by taking on flesh and becoming an example. So we have uh, 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 an example before our eyes, because he knows we don't get it. Our little pea brain, we just don't get it. We need something before, at least I do. I'm a visual learner. Amen. I'm a visual learner. I need to see it. Jesus came down so you could see it. And you could live your life and pattern after him. And where do you see his life? Read it in the Gospels. Hear it in the Old Testament. But we have that example in Christ. That's the point. Look at verse 21. We got to move forward. After Jesus said this, he was, in verse 21, when he said these things, he was what, saints? Troubled in his spirit. He was troubled in his spirit. Jesus was troubled by betrayal, if you're taking notes. Troubled by Judas. Troubled for Judas. Troubled for the cross. Jesus was deeply troubled, emotionally stirred in his spirit by this. And then he said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. In verse 22, the disciples looked at each other perplexed. They didn't know who it was. Matthew chapter 26, you might want to read that in your own time. It tells us the disciples began to say, is it I? Am I the one? Interesting. I find this interesting every time I read it. It is interesting that the disciples, when Jesus said, there is one who will betray me, it is fascinating to me that the disciples started saying, is it I? Is it me? And that's totally different than what we would do. If I said to you right now, um, someone in this sanctuary now will betray me, you would probably start looking down the aisle. You know? 
Honey, is it you? You would look to someone else. They looked at themselves and said, is it I? The disciples realized something we all need to realize. And what's that, Pastor? There's a little traitor in all of us. Amen. There's a little traitor in all of us. The disciples had a healthy distrust of themselves. And I don't care how spiritual you are. And I don't care, uh, you know, where you think you are in Christ. The flesh is fallen and weak. And the Bible says don't put any confidence in it. Okay? The flesh is fallen and weak, and you're still going to have to deal with it. So there's a little traitor in all of us. Look at verse 23 and 24. John tells us he is the disciple that Jesus loved. I love that. John just wants to be clear to the other disciples that Jesus loves me more than you guys. I am a disciple that Jesus loved. Y'all might want to recognize. And you got to wonder what it was like for John. Sometimes when I'm reading the Bible or I'm preparing to teach, I try to get myself in the story or maybe get myself in that person's head. Okay? So what was it like for John? to be laying on the bosom of Jesus, chest, bosom of Jesus, and to hear the heartbeat of God. Maybe he's laying it, maybe he could still smell the spike bar that the woman poured over and soaked up all his clothes. That smell is pungent and is not going away quick. Right? So maybe he could still smell that. He's laying on the chest of Jesus. John's sitting on the right, as I mentioned. Judas is on the left. Both these seats are the place of honor. Peter was seated down the table just a little bit. Think of that picture. Jesus was, Peter was seated down the table a little bit. And Peter, you got to love him. Curiosity has killed him. He wants to know who is it. He motions to John. I don't know, did y'all ever get this? He wants to know who is it. So he motions to John to ask Jesus who it is. So Peter, I absolutely love Peter. I really do. I think Peter is most like most people. Y'all say amen. Y'all trying to act holy in church. I know you are just like Peter. Worse. So Peter, he looks at John. He says, John. Ask him, who is it? We didn't know who it is. It might want to betray me too. I didn't know who it is. That's it. Ask him. John's like, no. Not now. And John says, is it I? Is it me? Lord, who is it? They want to know it's them. I think it's just interesting they look back on themselves. Jesus said, it's the one I will give a piece of bread after I dipped it. Did you get that? That's in verse uh, 26. Jesus said, it's the one who I give bread. The King Jimmy, if you're reading the King Jimmy, it says this, doesn't it? Jesus answered, it is he or he it is to whom I shall give sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Are you reading the King James Version? Is that what it says? Yep. yep. Sop. Sop. 
Now, what is sop? Well, sop is made of bitter herbs, vinegar, salt, mushed fruit, dates, figs, raisin, and water. Sop was like hummus. Um, I, can't, I, can't, I hate hummus. I, I, I do not like hummus. Who likes hummus? Raise your hand if you like hummus. I can't, all services, most of the people like hummus. Hate hummus. Who doesn't like hummus? Who's with me? Godly, holy people. Yes. Love the Lord, I know you do. I don't know why I can't, hummus, I mean, my, my family loves it. We were out at this Mediterranean restaurant, like two Fridays ago or something, and my kids got hummus. They're like, Dad, you got to try this. You got to eat this. I'm like, that stuff looks awful. I don't know. People love it, though. People love hummus. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.